Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here, and really glad that you are uh, worshiping with us today. And again, I guess for those of you who are new, there's you know, relevant fact here that you need to know. I'm a huge Razorback basketball fan. That's important to know for a couple of reasons. One, uh, Woopig, so always that. So there was a game last night uh, here in Fayetteville, which I was there, and it had, there was a lot of things going against it for me. Once it was, it was a late night game, and it went into overtime. And so that's just the struggle for me because I can't yell as much as I want to, or otherwise this will just be a, just a, a mess where you can't hear me. But even still, I'm just kind of like my, my heart rate just goes, I, I don't, my wife asked me, she's like, how'd you sleep last night? I was like, I, I, I don't know that anything that happened last night between 11 and 6.30 this morning could be counted as sleep. I was, I was in bed, but I don't know. I said just, anyways, that's, I'm crazy. You need to know. So what that means is I'm running on fumes here, and some people say there's, there's a theory amongst long-term Grovers that some of the best sermons are when Charlie hasn't had any sleep. And so then you can decide, you can decide for that for your own. Either, regardless, I'm, I'm barely here today. So, but, whoopig. Um, so, uh, for the last few weeks, we have been in a, looking at this passage in Ephesians chapter 2, where we are talking about kind of this big theological question that's out there, just about, you know, about, about what is the balance or what is the relationship between God saving us by grace and the good works that we're supposed to do. And it's not just a theological thing where we're trying to figure out, you know, is salvation free? What does it mean that it's by grace? How do our works fall into that? But there's also an internal struggle that I think that happens with most of us where it's like, what does God require of me? Can I be good enough for God? What, is it, what does that even mean to try to be good enough? And it's like, how, do, how does what this life that God has called me to, how does that fit in with what, what I hear is about this kind of this unconditional love of God. And it's a really, we, I don't want to say it's a complicated issue. I will say this. We have turned it into an incredibly complicated issue. And I don't want to negate 2,000 years of theological debate and overly minimize what is the complexity of this for some people. But I really think that how to put together that God loves me unconditionally apart from what I do for him, and I am expected to do good things for God. I think it's really simple because the Bible is full of a lot of imagery to describing God as a father. In fact, we've talked about that actually over the last couple of series at different times. This imagery is God as a father. And I was, had the privilege this week, he and I meet uh, almost every week, our youth pastor Matt, if you don't know Matt, you should totally know Matt, uh, he's, he's doing a great job with our, with our Roots Teenage Ministry, he's awesome. And he and I were talking, and we were talking around kind of this issue. And he is a new dad, and I love Matt, and I love Caitlin, but if you haven't met Levi, Levi's the coolest. Levi is their little baby, he's just a few months old, he's awesome. So Matt is a new dad. And I'm talking to Matt about this. I was like, Matt, and this is a rhetorical question really, do you love your son? He's like, of course I do. And, it, and it's very obvious. He is a great dad, loves him well. I mean, Levi's eyes when he sees his dad, I mean, just lights up like no one else. I mean, he's just a great dad. He loves his son. His son knows that they've got a great relationship. It's like right now he's four months old. We don't have a whole lot of expectations of him. But there's going to come a day that four-month-old is going to be a toddler, Right? And then that toddler, he's going to be a 
one day he's going to be a preteen. One day he's going to be just a regular teen. And I was like, do you, are you going to have expectations of him? Eat your vegetables. Don't talk to your mom like that. Clean your room. He's like, yeah, of course. In fact, it's your job to teach him to do those things. Yeah, and, it's, and it's actually his responsibility in your home to do those things. Yeah. And, but you still love him. Yeah, unconditionally, right? Yeah. I feel like we are able to make more sense of this in human relationships, but we, we add a layer of complexity to it when it comes to God. Does God love me unconditionally? Yes. Is, is the gift that he gave us in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, is it completely and totally free? Yes. Does God have expectations on my life? Also yes. Does that mean? No. It doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that somehow that God's love is conditional. God's love is not conditional. God's love can be unconditional and he have expectations. This is the way relationships work. And that's why I think the, the Bible is so full of father imagery to describe who God is. And I think very often our problem with this comes from, for some of us, a bad experience with what a dad is. So you come to church and somebody's like, and so here's what God's like. God's like a dad. And you're like, hmm. And, and it's not positive things that come into your mind. Or if it's not that, I think we have just been fed a line about a, about a harsh God whose love is conditioned on your obedience at any particular moment. When in fact, that's not what the Bible teaches. It's different with God. It's different with God because of the sin thing, the salvation thing. You don't, you don't, you know, you're not, you're not having to save your kids for, for bad things that they've done and bring them into your family. It's not like that. Which is why, in addition to using father imagery, there's a lot of adoption imagery that is used in the Bible when talking about that. And I could, as someone who has experienced adoption, we've, we've adopted our youngest. Um, she's been a part of our family now for over 10 years. And I could talk about that extensively, and then I would cry a lot, and we wouldn't get very far in the message, and all you would remember is me crying about how precious our little baby girl is to us. But the imagery is powerful. God brought us into his family by what he did, not for anything that they did, and it was free and unconditional. We brought her into our family. She wasn't in our family. We brought her into our family. We made her a part of our family. I gave her my name, and now she is unconditionally a part of our family. And, and her place in our family is as solid as anyone's. And there isn't anything that you could do to separate her from me. She's aloft and forever. That is the image that God uses to describe what it means for him to bring us in part of him. Not because of anything that, that, that Layla did, not because of anything that you did, but out of the love and compassion bring you into the family. But Charlie's still, bro, it's different. You're still not talking about sin. It's, there's a sin aspect to this. There's a sin aspect. You have sinned, and because of your sin, you have offended God. You have done something against God. And in order to make things right with God, you have to do something. You have to do something to make it right because that's the way the world works. That's the way relationships work. If you do something to somebody, the only way to restore is for you have to do something. Again, so maybe you're right. Maybe father imagery, maybe um, 
uh, maybe, maybe adoption image is incomplete. So let's just go then, if it's incomplete, let's just go then to very clear teaching that can, is in the Scripture. If the imagery is not good enough, which I think that it is, to understand God as an absolute loving Father, I think He's doing His best here to communicate to us exactly what He means. Ephesians, this is the passage we've been looking at. Ephesians 2, 8-10. through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the passage we've been looking at, so what we're going to do is just kind of look back at what we've been talking about over the last few weeks, so we're kind of working our way through the major points of this passage, and then we'll end it kind of with this last phrase, this thing that we haven't talked about. But when we started... Three weeks ago, we talked about this, this first part, verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Again, as clear as this could be said, salvation is not by works. Salvation is not by works. It's just not. It's just not by works. There isn't anything that you can do to earn it. This is something that is a free gift. You are not... You are not you are, not, you are not earning this. You're not working towards it. it, isn't, it, it it's completely separated from your works. So that you don't have anything that you can brag about. You didn't bring anything to this. It is a complete and total gift. And we talked about this a few weeks ago fairly extensively. If you didn't look at that, you can go back to our archives um, on YouTube or you go to our webpage. You can, you can find it out there. I, I encourage you in our podcast or on YouTube to find this and listen to it. Very clear teaching here. That this is absolutely free. There isn't anything you need to do to earn it. In fact, you can't earn it. You cannot do anything to earn it. You don't get to earn a little bit of it. And, and one of the most devastating, just bad teachings or illustrations I've ever heard, it's actually not from a Christian group. It was it's from a, this Christian cult. And they were trying to explain to me. I'm talking to them about Ephesians 2, and they're talking back to me. They're talking back to me. And they use... What they think is a great illustration. Well, it's kind of like when when you're a kid and you're buying and, and you want a bike, and your dad says you got to save your money to buy your bike. So the kid saves money. He's like, Dad, I think I've got enough to buy the bike. So they go to the bike store. Bike's hundred dollars. The kid pulls out his pennies and nickels and dimes. He's got like three dollars worth of stuff there. He's like, Is that enough, Dad? And Dad says, Sure. And Dad puts ninety-seven down plus the three. Kid gets a bike. It's by grace. It's free. It's free. It's a gift. The dad the dad did it, but the kid had to put his $3 out there. Charlie, don't you see? And I was like, it's, I, I, I'm trying to be cool. I hear what you're saying, but that's actually really offensive and a little bit stupid. I don't think that's what I said, but I'm, I haven't, again, I haven't slept now, so I'm thinking now. I'm thinking now, it's just a stupid, offensive thing to say. Because what you're saying is, okay, now your salvation, your salvation is based on Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. He died and laid down his life for you. And you once gave money to a homeless person. And you put those two things together, you got everything that you need. Good job, guys. Jesus is arrested, tortured, sacrifices himself, is separated from God, is humiliated, and dies for your sins. And you come to church approximately once every two to three weeks. Teamwork. We both had our part to play. That's offensive. It's offensive. Jesus' death on the cross, that's it. 
and there isn't anything that you are putting on the table that, that compares to that. And in fact, can you imagine? I want to give you a gift that's worth $100 because I love you. And so I give it to you, and you're like, oh, wow, ooh, ah, here's $2. Like, there's a lot wrong with that. There is a lot wrong with the idea of looking at an incalculably valuable gift and handing them $2. It is completely and totally free. And we, we, can't, we, can't, we can't add anything to it. It doesn't have anything to do with what we do, which Paul makes very clear here. Then he continues on, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork. Salvation is not by work, but you, in fact, you are God's work. So God did all the work in salvation. In fact, you in itself, you're, the, you're still God's work. Everything about only one's work is God. He saved you. In fact, you, just you being here, you are God's handiwork. And Brad talked about this. He was up here a couple of weeks ago. Just this idea that you are a precious, unique creation of the God of the universe. And so here we have not just simply father imagery, but we kind of have artist imagery. Uh, maybe maybe a, 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 a woodmaker, like a, a crafter of some kind, of someone who creates this beautiful piece of work, uniquely designed, handcrafted by them as something that is very precious and special to them. And that is what you are. And so I think that some people struggle with the idea that salvation being free comes from the idea that, well, I'm an American and I do it myself and everything I've got I earned myself and I'm a person and I'm strong and I'm capable and I can do it. And there's no, I, I, we just have a hard time. Again, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Same reason we fight over the check. Can't let somebody do something nice for me because I've got all these pride issues. It can't be for I had to have done something. But for some of us, it's not that. Some of us, it's not just simply that pride, but it's where that pride comes from. I don't believe that, that anyone should give me a gift, much less God. If God is as good and as cool and as big as you say, I, it makes me uneasy to think that God would give me a gift. But here's the thing. You are incredibly precious to God. Uniquely handcrafted by Him. He loves you that much. Of course He handcrafted you. He loves you. You're, you're, you're beautiful and amazing and wonderful to Him. Of course He would want to give you a gift. Of course He would want you in His family. Of course He would want to restore you. Of course He would want to forgive you. Of course He would give you a gift. God, God, God loves you like that. So salvation is not by works. You are, in fact, you are, you are God's work. And then... Um, Mark says this, he talked to this last week, we see it here in Ephesians uh, 2.10, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to, to do good works. So you're not saved by works, you are God's work, but you are saved to do the works. This is in fact your purpose. You, you, you are not saved by the works, but you were saved and one of the purposes of that, of your creation and of your salvation, one of the purposes, one of the reasons, like I want, I'm giving this to you because I want you now to go do good works. This is what I want from you. This is what I expect from you. This is your purpose. Your purpose now is to do these good things. 
And again, the, the, the weird theology and the weird experience, the weird history we have, we immediately go through. It's like you've been created to do good works. Well, now you're saying, now you're saying I have to do it. It's like no one said have to. Again, parent-child parent imagery is very important here. Have to has the idea of if you don't, I'm going to kick you out of the family. I mean, yeah, I mean, my parent tells me to clean my room. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 have to. But not in the crazy, weird way you're talking about. It's, it's your job. It's your responsibility to you. are. This is what you were designed to do. Just do it. Let's just stop with the if, well, if God expects something of me, then somehow the relationship is uh, uncertain or whatever. Just be who you were called to be. This is part of the conversation Matt and I were having. Is actually we're talking about this thing in, in Romans eight that, that, that God is not that God didn't save us so that we could be slaves again. He slaved us so that we could be adopted children. You know, like I have expectations that hey, okay, my, my child, my my children will do this. You know, you you live here, you you live here, and one of your purposes is dishes. We've struggled with that historically over the, over the years. We struggled with that all the way down, all three, three for three, struggling with dishes specifically, right? As purpose, I feel like purpose. I don't. But yes, you have to do it, but it's not like we're kicking you out. It is it is your responsibility as a member of this home and in the role that you play. This is your responsibility, and you have a responsibility. And we've got to learn to just be okay with just, I guess, a little bit of tension there. God loves you unconditionally, and he has expectations of your life. It seems to work very normally in so many other of our relationships, and we just need to make sure that we understand this. It is okay for both of those things to be true. God loves me unconditionally. Romans 8 makes it very clear there isn't anything that can separate me from that love once I have it in Jesus Christ. And he has expectations on my life. And we need to stop living in kind of these theological what-if games of what if I don't and what if this and what if this. No, no. God loves you unconditionally. You're going to go live the life that God has called you to. You are saved in part. This is your, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now, as I've said this and I've talked about this with people and you start to try to say things like God has given you purpose. And he has a purpose for you, a purpose for you to do good things, to live a certain type of life, to, to follow him, to, to, to accomplish, to do good works. Like, how do I know? And people get really just kind of, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know who I am. I don't think I'm good enough. I don't, I don't think this. I don't think this. And we act like it's really, really difficult and complicated to figure out really, well, what are the expectations that God wants from me? How, how will I know? How do I know what God wants from me? And this is kind of where this passage ends, verse 10. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the NIV, which I use a lot because it's a very common um, translation that most people have. But there's some more literal translations out there. And these more literal ones, they, they are kind of really word for word in translating it. We'll say it this way, which is, these works, these good works that God prepared in advance for you to walk in. So there's kind of an image here that, that God has, the image that Paul's making here is that there's this path. There's a path of good works that God has prepared in advance. And your job is to walk and discover the good works that God has already prepared for you. So there's this kind of this path imagery. 
that God has prepared in advance good works for you to do on a path that he has already laid out. Now just walk in it. Now I think that there is uh, just some two really profound ideas here that we need to make sure that we understand. I really feel like we need to sink in deep with us if we are going to be the type of people who can both rest in the unconditional love of God and live purposefully. Live with the purpose of doing and being who God has called us to be. And the first one is this, the idea that God has laid out your path. God has laid out the path. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? Well, he says that God's already, he's already laid it out for you. There are good works that God has called you to do that it says that he has pre-prepared for you. He has prepared them in advance for you to do them. So the idea here is that he is orchestrating the circumstances of your life and the lives of other people in such a way that at just the right moment, at just the right time, you're going to be placed in a situation where there's a good work that he wants you to do. Now some of you, again, who maybe have a, a more of a background in church are like, that sounds a whole lot like predestination. And once we start talking about predestination, for whatever reason, people just kind of start to tense up. I don't like it. I don't like it. I choose my life. I'm an American. God doesn't, no one, no one chooses for me. I choose for me. No one does. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to use a different word. Instead of predestination, I'm going to use the word preordained, which sounds softer and better. They mean exactly the same thing, but you don't need to know that right now. As far as you know, that is just a very softer thing. Does it have anything to do with predestination? And it's just a really cool thing that God does. It has nothing to do about any predetermination in your life, right? Matt's hypnosis. Ooh, we're fine with that. That's great. Thanks for saying preordained, Charlie. That's awesome. Anyway, so, so the idea being, rather than it feeling like control or some weird idea of predestination that my life, I don't have choice or whatever and way people think about it, just imagine that a God who takes so much care in his world and in your life that he's already laid the things out for you. He, he knows you. He knows the needs in the world. He knows you are a unique handiwork that he has crafted for specific purpose. And around you are all sorts of different, different handiworks that he's created. And he is moving around in all of them in such a way so that his very beautiful work, which is you, will find itself at just the right place, at just the right time to do exactly what he wants you to do. Rather than getting lost in a theological abyss of what predestination means, let's just, let's just glean a couple of things from that that are actually really, really cool. Is that God is way bigger than maybe what you think that he is. He has the ability to simultaneously, with billions of his handiworks, to be able to move them together in such a way where at just the right time, we were having just the right encounters with different people at different times in order to do and be exactly who he's called to be. That, that's incredible that God is that big. But in addition to the fact that this actually shows an incredibly powerful, complex, big God, it also shows that God is uniquely interested in you. God cares enough to make sure that you are one of the handiworks that he has laid works out for, for you to do. God is big and 
interested in you personally. Now, I think very often we choose one of those or the other. If God is so big that he is sustaining a seemingly infinite, expanding universe with just billions and billions of things out there and just like you can't, you can't even imagine the, the, the light years and the space and the number of planets and the number of galaxies and how vast the universe is. And like, Well, clearly in a universe this big, then there's got to be life on other planets or something and there's just so much going on and so much that God must be doing out there in the, in the universe just to keep it all together. Why on earth would he care if... Uh, I quit work early but didn't clock out. I hate what really doesn't care. What does God really care? I, 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 yelled, I, I, I yelled at my kids. God's got way more important stuff going on about whether or not I loved a person who was in need today. God, God's not noticing or caring. right? So God is big so he doesn't care. Or we, we have the ideas like, like who I am and what I do and what it matters, but then we have to necessarily put in a small God, and a small God is not very good at communicating to us. He's not very good at telling us what to do, and he's very controlling, he's very hurtful, he's these kinds of things. And, and so we have these two things, we have this kind of binary thinking, either, either what I do matters or God is big, but to put both of them together is actually a very beautiful picture, that there is a big, awesome, incredible God who has the ability to ordain the paths and the steps of your life to put you in just the right situation at just the right time because He cares uniquely about you. This is who God is. He has, he has laid out for you. He has prepared in advance these works for you to do. So God has laid out your path. And then basically what's said, then you simply, what you need to do, you just simply need to walk. That's what you need. You just simply walk. You just need to walk. That's what you need to do. Again, he prepared in advance so that we should walk in them. So the question then becomes, when these moments happen, will I recognize them and will I know what to do? Now, I've got a handful of stories. Some of you may know this, that on most Sunday mornings, I will sit at this McDonald's right down here and I will sit there in advance and just kind of thinking through the sermon, get up early, make sure I'm fully awake, thinking all this through before I get here in the morning for the first service. And I actually got quite a few weird stories in my life where kind of God puts me in situations, and a lot of them have happened at that McDonald's, which is crazy. And some of you may be thinking, bro, that's, that's just a simple fix on your part. Just stop going to that McDonald's. But anyways, and so I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm there. There's been many times I'm, I'm interacting with people who are currently struggling with homeless, homelessness, and, and God's like, hey, guess what? There's one for you today. Like, I'm busy. I didn't really do as much prep as I would have liked. I really need to get some things done. That one's for you. And I've told these stories. I've told these stories where I then ended up taking people to various places all over northwest Arkansas on Sunday morning to, to help them, to give them money, to give them a ride, to do whatever. I've got, I've got the stories like this. The craziest story didn't happen at this McDonald's, and I'll just tell this one brief. It happened in a McDonald's in Tulsa, which is like, bro, stop going to McDonald's. But we were there as family trip. We we're about to go to a uh, aquarium, but we we're going to say, "Hey, let's stop at Mrs. McDonald's for breakfast first. And so we did. And and you're going to think, I'll just I'll just tell it, and then you, I'll tell you. And I'm I'm going to come back to my table, and this dude, I have no idea who he is. He comes up to me and he says, "Sir, can I talk to you for a few minutes? And do you have time?" 
Dr. And her answer to that question is no, I don't actually. But here I am in that situation. Sure. And I'm sitting down at the table with him. And he says to me, I'm, I'm an addict. I've never been outside of Oklahoma before. And I, and I feel like I'm at this crossroads in my life where my, my friend has given me this train ticket. And the train leaves in about an hour. And it's going to take me to Colorado where I've got a reservation at this rehab clinic. But I've never been out of Oklahoma before in my life. And I'm scared. And I don't know what God wants from me. And I don't know what my life is supposed to be about. What do you think? Now, there's two things that you think you're probably thinking simultaneously right now, and you're not comfortable expressing all of it. One of them is, wow. And the other one is like, that is a ridiculous story. That does not happen to real humans in real life. That's the kind of thing that happens in TV dramas. And it did, it did happen. And I'm sitting here in this moment trying to have this conversation with him while my two-year-old is in the booth, three booths away, saying, Dad, it's the wrong booth. We're over here, Dad. This, this, this is what that was like for me. And you think, of course, of course things like that happen to you. Of course people who are struggling will find you at McDonald's. Of course this guy, because of the, the uniqueness of you. And again, on some degree maybe you're right. Because I was totally expecting it this morning. I was totally expecting this morning. I'm sitting there at McDonald's and I'm just like, there's going to be another one that I'm going to have. And there was this moment where one of the workers was talking to the person, actually two booths in front of me, asking him, hey, are you going to church today? Where do you go to church? And they're talking. I'm like, okay, here we go. No, and he did a great job. He talked to her, talked to her a lot about church, whatever, and she was satisfied. She didn't make it all the way to my table. I'm thinking, dude, thanks for Ephesians 2.10 in this for me. Taking one for the team so that I can just kind of keep going. Way to go, bro. I was proud of him. They just happen. They happen to me, right? Okay, that's because you know. No, those kinds of things happen to me because of how God maybe has uniquely designed you. But I promise you, because of your unique handiwork, your uniqueness, the beauty of how God has made you. There are circumstances like that that God is putting you in all the time where he is wanting you to walk in it, to do and be incredible things. God may have me talk to people with existential crises in Tulsa. He's never going to ask me to help build something, to fix something, to manage a project. There's lots of things that I can't do that you can do. And there's lots of people that you're going to have access to that no missionary, no pastor of any type is ever going to be able to interact with. There's God, there's God putting people and situations in your life unique to you because of where he has you, unique to you because of who you are. And God is wanting you to walk in them. Because I believe the reason these things happen to me in large part is because I made a decision several years ago. I was going to live my life in such a way with my eyes open. I chose to believe this, that God is carving out paths and he is carving out one for me and I should expect him to put me in a situation where he's going to ask me to do something. There is a good work that God has prepared for me and I'm going to live a life like I'm expecting it, like I'm planning to find it. And I think this is God's call on us, to live a life expecting Ephesians 2.10 to be true. And so then the next thing you know, you're at church, and you say, hey, we're raising money for our new youth building over here on the side. It's like, and you think, man, I think that one's for me. You know, the best people we have in our, our kids, the most important people we have in our church, they're so precious, are our kids, and we need more people back there to love them. And God's going to be like, that one's for you. You're going to hear some opportunities of our community care team with our 
with our, with our pantry or with this circles ministry, this kind of this mentoring program that we're getting involved in that happens in South Fayetteville. You think, I think I want to hear more about that. I think that, I think that's for me. You hear about foster care. You hear about adoption. You meet more foster parents. Like God be like, I think that might be a good idea for you. You hear these things. You hear about this refugee family that our church has kind of helped get um, settled here. This this really cool Afghani family. You think, man, I missed that one. I want to get the next one. Because there are a lot of you that heard about that and, said, and, and, you, and you said yes. God said, this one's yours. And you said yes. And you've had some really cool stories. But it's not just going to be at church. You're going to be walking around your neighborhood and you're going to see somebody. You're going to be walking around at work. You're going to see somebody crying. You're going to see somebody sitting alone. And God's going to be like, that one's for you. That one's yours. And this is the church that God has called us to be. A church of people who are walking around Eyes open, ears open, heart open to do and be who God has called us to be in these preordained moments. And collectively, we're going to have a lot of amazing stories if we will learn how to walk in the path that God has laid out for us. Let's pray. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for all these weird stories. 